Welcome to the Material Analysis Podcast. I am Bela and I'm joined today by Chandu and Pramod for an episode uh, on the historic judgment that was passed this weekend um, in India. The Supreme Court of India basically passed a verdict on the long-standing titles dispute case in Ayodhya. Um, and the quick summary is that basically all of the disputed land area of uh, where the Babri Masjid was demolished is now going to be allocated for the construction of a temple, a Hindu temple, with um, a trust that is going to be created to supervise its building. Uh, an alternative piece of land uh, of five acres is to be allotted to the Sunni Waqf board for the construction of a mosque within Ayodhya. So sort of a compensatory measure. like if you construe that we are trying to offend your sentiments and whatever by this episode then you are obviously wrong um, no, obviously you're correct shut the fuck up we obviously are trying to offend people what i was going to say is uh progressive folks around india are uh, have been have been having a series of reactions but i will say the truly left reaction to this has just been utter dismay it is it is really a betrayal of justice uh in our opinion um, for the acts of vandalism that occurred in the 90s the destruction of the babri masjid um and muslims have really been stolen of 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 justice in this regard uh but unfortunately a lot of progressive people who we hoped would echo these sentiments have been coming out with with a lot of relief over the judgment um some of the left parties have have welcomed this decision saying hopefully we can move on there is a sense that we have achieved closure of some sort and now we can finally move on between uh, beyond the communal politics uh, that babri masjid's demolition signified um and this is very disturbing to see not surprising considering what the current government has been attempting but we definitely felt that the, we we needed an episode uh, to to discuss this so i'm joined by chandu and pramod Uh, do you guys have any initial thoughts on this i have some initial thoughts mm-hmm. and one or like okay actually multiple initial thoughts one thought is that yes i personally am also quite disappointed by how certain parties especially certain parties which posture themselves as communist uh, let's just have, say the cpim let's just name yeah, let's the just say the, let's just name them the cpim one line i am hearing again and again and it's a line i would like all of us to contest in today's episode and the line is that uh, leftists communists socialists etc are are irreligious people so why should we even care about this judgment so let's 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 face one thing that uh, historically uh, some of the biggest opponents of the babri demolition and the ram mandir movement have been from the left i mean like you know that extremely boring anand patwardhan documentary features yes, it I, I don't, don't watch it it's extremely there. boring it's, it's extremely boring and ex- there is a speech in it which is maybe you have ab yeah that's ab bordhan speech which i'm referring to but like don't watch it because it's fucking boring anyway uh, uh, the thing is that uh, you know the, the one of the things that we see within the left today i mean like i don't know but i mean like it's very confused rhetoric to me because it, it it's a matter of fact that you know religion isn't just about faith you know you could just right. contest you mean it's uh, not that, just about theology right like the ideas yeah, yeah, yeah. of the faith or its belief yeah yeah it's right. it's not not just about that it's it, it the subcontinent and let's just face it the partition happened in 1947 we are essentially 
लिविंग इन अ सोसाइटी दैट इज डिवाइडेड ऑन रिलीजियस लाइन एंड वेरी आइडेंटिटी रिलीजियस लाइंस एंड व्हेन यू हैव समथिंग यू नो द द एसेंशियल यू नो मैसेज दैट इज बीइंग सेंट हियर इज दैट द मेजॉरिटी मैंने द मेजॉरिटीरियन कम्युनिटी कैन बेसिकली कम दे कैन डिस्ट्रॉय योर प्लेस ऑफ वर्शिप एंड देन दे आर गोइंग टू गेट what they want they they just going to get the land which they've been claiming and basically your community is basically second class in post colonial india if you right. want to consider just to add to what you're saying actually also those who say that you know oh we are not actually interested in religion or god um or these arguments should not should not be the purview of the left well that they should not be the purview of the court and one of the plaintiff yeah. in this court is literally the bhagwan ram like the ram court lala. <laughs> yeah court has literally accorded plaintiff status to a deity um and and if if the court can do that well then it's no longer a purview of just yeah. religion yeah. or जजमेंट एटलीस्ट बाय विद इन दॉजिक द कोर्ट इज ऑपरेटिंग फ्रॉम एंड वेल दैट लॉजिक इज डीपली वेल फ्लॉड एंड वी कैन क्रिटिकेट बट within that very logic decision at least is not supposed to be about the act of the demolition right. and the way the right wing has been celebrating this judgment it is very obvious that they don't see things that way right well so the, the decision actually acknowledges I mean, that this was violating the law i mean the vandalism yeah, of okay. i mean like i mean like i mean to... like i mean like can you blame i mean like can literally considering the message being sent out by the supreme court right i mean like there are two separate cases involved here one is the criminal case of you know demolishing the mosque the other is obviously the title case regarding what the mane to whom does the land that the mosque was right. on belong to yes. and i mean like if the supreme court is trying to send the message that it's separable i mean like no one's buying that bullshit i mean like least of all the hindu right Mm-hmm. and certainly not muslims because these two cases are absolutely not unrelated like if the babri masjid were not demolished to begin with this case would have never even come about right right i, I mean like if there was no demand for the demolition of the babri masjid this would not have been a case of contention that yeah. uh, i think the whole point of the demolition was to escalate the issue right the rathyatra's yeah, yeah. entire politics was to make this central to what the bjp was claiming that there is an essential yeah. hindu identity that goes back 5000 years etc etc and the destruction of the mosque was a symbolic move in that direction to say that we are going to make this a legal issue and we are going to make the courts acknowledge the sort of quote unquote hindu origins of india or whatever yeah, it is and, so, and, and, yeah. and 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 in a sense and in a and if you actually look at the entire discussion around mm-hmm. babri mm-hmm. right with both the allahabad high court regarding the title suit in both the allahabad high court as well as the supreme court they have basically conceded that point i mean like they no way yes. has the court because and you know i am seeing so i'll just point this out because i think certain people need to be named because sanjay hegre did write an article on it and i think yes. it should be pointed out sanjay yes. hegre basically argued that given the evidence that the courts had they made the correct judgment now the issue here is and i keep seeing this a lot from a lot of progressive people regarding um, the evidence and you know the judgment being correct in light of the evidence ignores the fact and and this is actually a fact and this entire history i'm not sure how many people are familiar with the people are not talking about this in fact i see the hindu right talking about this but i don't see progressive talking progressives talking about this um, you know when the court case was going on in the allahabad high court when the asi excavation was taking place etc it has been pointed out by a number of historians archaeologists etc that the evidence the quote unquote evidence that is being used here itself yes. is uh, extremely politicized and uh, it uh, like for instance like jayamanan and supriya verma mm-hmm. they had pointed out that the structure that lay bil- below the babri masjid doesn't necessarily correspond to a hindu temple but the supreme court in its judgment basically assumed that there was a hindu temple be- beneath the mosque 
I believe exactly. you use the phrase a non-Islamic structure, by which they yes. seem to imply that non-Islamic means Hindu and Hindu alone, right? Yes, yes, because uh, okay, and the other pieces of evidence that they use was well, another interesting thing that uh, so when they were arguing the case, uh, I mean when they were reading out their verdict, they basically so essentially, if I understand correctly, the legal basis of this case went something like this: that suppose you live um, and uh, this is what I understand. I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, the audience is uh, welcome to point this out. Uh, so from my understanding of how this went down it was basically reduced to a case of uh, you know uh, of you know such something like this that you're at you have a house for instance mm -hmm. and there is another family residing in in your house who mm -hmm. you know you ha they're basically squatters and you haven't actually you know evicted them mm -hmm. now suddenly they've been they're making a claim that that house is theirs right mm -hmm. now it is upon you to prove that their their claim makes no sense and you basically but that claim belongs to you and basically what the court kind of reasoned was that hindus have been making a claim to that site before muslims have been making that claim but like for instance the kind of evidence that they used that was admitted in court to say that hindus have been claiming this particular site before the first uh, you know major incident happened and that was in the 19th century this was mm -hmm. before uh, the, uh, 1857 this was 1853 or something when the nirmohi akara which was a militant um, cult rama yeah. cult went and occupied the site and yeah. Basically, the colonial authorities intervened and said, you know, as the as colonial uh, authorities do, what their solution was basically to say that, okay, you know, you go stab and you know, you occupy that place, and you know, Muslims still get the mosque. So that was their solution. But any, uh, so the court basically wanted evidence of Hindu claims on the mosque prior to that. Mm -hmm. Now, prior to that, the Hindu claims that they were using were. Uh, claim and if you actually look at the evidence that was admitted it was basically evidence that said that uh, uh, the city of Fez, the town of Fezaba, which later became renamed to Ayodhya again in the 20th century by the way it was known as Fezabad for the longest time and it's mm -hmm. also something that has been erased from memory which is why I started by saying that we refer to this as Ayodhya or Fezabad because although the entire uh, the, there are still places in the court etc is known as the Fezabad court this town was a town of pilgrimage and it was identified as Ayodhya by a bunch of people for instance Tulsidas mm. uh, and then there were other, other some, uh, you know noblemen etc who basically assumed that this to be the birthplace of Rama etc the but it does not I mean like there is actually no textual evidence before the rise of this kind of politics in the 19th century that identifies Sorry, that identifies the site of the mosque as the very site of the Ram Janmabhumi. So no, and I think the judgment also goes on to actually acknowledge that whatever Hindu temple or Hindu structure lies under the mosque is, is, is dated back to something like, I think, 11th or 12th century. Um, yeah. While the mosque itself has been constructed in the 16th, and the court acknowledges that there's an intervening period of 400 centuries, sorry, 400 years, uh, through which we, we, during which we don't actually know what happened. Like, was the temple destroyed? Yeah. Was the temple decaying? We have no evidence of what actually occurred yes so while they do acknowledge that we don't know what happened to the quote-unquote temple, but whether the, as i said whether this was a temple or not is itself questionable uh and not just questionable it is many like if you actually read the works of archaeologists and historians who are right. not sanghis and that and i'll get into the person who is quoted as you know being the impartial arbiter because he's he's a muslim he happens to be muslim Right. But the fact is, people who are not associated with the Sang or did not take the or were not closely associated with the ASI, and remember, the ASI is a government body at the time of the uh, thing, you know, the NDA was in power, and you know, these appointments are also right? 2002 2003. Yeah, yeah. When assigned yeah. and at that point, and at the point, at that point, the appointments of the ASI were eminently political, which is something that you know, because I've seen a lot of historians and archaeologists who were called in as witnesses 
be discredited on the basis of their own their political views and political affiliations by the judge of the Allahabad High Court himself, some mm-hmm. uh, Justice Agarwal. Basically, attack them on the basis of the political affiliation. Not once did they question the political affiliations of those associated with the ASI. But even if you were like, even on that basis, it's like you're saying there's 400 years, there's been a temple. What they've done is that temple could have been any. If that temple was really a temple, I mean, like right. I'm saying it's not. Okay. But assuming that that was a temple, how do you even know it was the Ram Temple? How do you right. know that it was? How do you know? For a fact that it was the Ramjan, and not just it wasn't a Ram temple. How do you know that that was the only temple? And like they, they, they like you know, you're making a bunch of logical leaps here, right? Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And this could have been, uh, if, if assuming it's a temple, it could have been any temple. It right. could have been a bunch of different. It could have, it could have been a Shiv, Shiva temple for all we know. It could have been a Kali temple. It could Local have been any goddamn temple. Yes. Yes. Anything, anything. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> and again, to clarify, I'm not saying it's a temple at all because I don't think it was. But mm-hmm. uh, that you're making a leap from that, and that that basically what they're doing is they're saying that okay, there was a temple here. Here is the accounts from the late medieval, early modern period, uh, where which basically say that this site was this this entire town was identified as the birthplace of Rama. And yeah. Therefore, therefore, this temple somehow corresponds to that site because again, remember the litigant, according to the Supreme Court, is not the Nirmohi Akhara. It is Ram Lala himself. So if what got... have basically done now is to take history, sorry, to take mythology as history as fact, right? It's they are firstly assume that there are a couple of steps that are happening. So the first step is that they are taking seriously compromised. Um, archaeological quote unquote archaeological evidence which is actually not evidence at all seriously compromised things as a basis for as as basically fact right as fact, right. as fact secondly they're using references to the um, to the town being a site of pilgrimage mm-hmm. as being indication that a certain site site which they've assumed from the questionable archaeological evidence that they've taken as fact to correspond to the idea that that very site that particular 2.5 acres of land corresponded to the ram janmabhoomi and that you know is kind of impossible to argue unless because see the litigant here is ramlala mm-hmm. so if, mm-hmm. if ramlala is a litigant in this case and according to the supreme court mm-hmm. you are basically accepting that claim as valid right so right. unless and, and it's again this process of you know assuming a prior and then you know like a particular a, a previous you know guest on our podcast had said regarding the nrc sorry regarding the repeal of the imdt in the episode we did on the nrc that right. in many cases the courts have basically assumed something as true and then they have worked back and like you know started justifying right, those justify, right so i think we are wasting time talking about all this evidence and all this the reason why this is useless is because when you admit uh, that when you start talking about it when you accept that game you are basically you know like you are you are talking about the antiquity of this and that's where the like that's what i refuse I'm, to talk on i mean like i mean like the point here was to reject it no, no, that... and I also believe that the court has mentioned all of these in the judgment, which is troubling. Which is why I feel like talking about the kind of leaps of judge, uh, logic that the courts are making is important to point out yeah. to say that this, these are the ways in which law has been subverted. Yeah, but what I am trying to I don't say, think laws have, I don't even think law has the, been subverted. The law has been subverted. That's, that's what I'm saying. Within okay, the, within the logical framework the court has set up, they have not subverted the law. Ram Lala is a juristical person. It it has a huge yeah, history in colonial law. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not, not an innovation. It's it's not the first time that has been done. If you allow their framework as valid, then actually they have given the correct judgment. I would basically say that yeah, I'll concede your point that if within their law, within, within their, their framework within of their, logic, within their logical framework. They can kind of justify this, kind of not completely yeah, but, by the way. But but yeah, but Mike. Problem here is that even within their framework of uh, justice, the issue has been over here. The courts, both the Allahabad High Court and the Supreme Court, 
severely overstepped the domain of expertise right okay. they have basically they have basically been uh, making judgments on history and, and i'm not saying they're not legally entitled to do it they are as they proved proven but the thing is that the uh, the courts have basically assumed that they have the necessary expertise in mm-hmm. history in archaeology in the sociology of religion in in the idea of uh, in political science all sorts of social sciences disciplines to be making a judgment like this because that's that's exactly what they're doing like when okay. justice agarwal agarwal basically tries discrediting and and discrediting through very personal allegations by the way and if you actually read through the allahabad high court okay judgment, i want to stop you there no 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 because you're digressing now let let chandu respond go go chandu no so the point i was trying to make is that given what pramod is saying even with all that within their framework i don't think you can really contest i mean you sure you can say that they like justice agarwal fucked over the experts and that is actually, like you know that's a that's a strong allegation to make i hope these people don't come after us with police cases but like within their framework they can justify this there are ways they could justify this very horrible judgment and i i challenge that framework i challenge the Uh, so my, I mean, like you have to really thought, prove, like, like, do you have to really prove that Muslims have, like, they argued that you know Muslims haven't been making a claim on the site, but like, there's a there's a goddamn mosque there. Like, do you really need to say it? Like, yeah. You know I mean? so, so my, so why the would they? Why would they be claiming it? To, like, this is just okay. Let Chandu, let Chandu go on. What I am interested in is that how that bit got diluted. Why did leadership from the Muslim community, for example? give up on that thing that you know there was a mosque why did they agree to treat it in this battle of antiquity like uh, why did that happen in the first place and so, yeah so about that so you know you've seen muslim leaders unfortunately behaving being somewhat complicit in making such claims valid for instance while during the rajiv gandhi i mean like you know it came a lot of people have been posting about it on twitter that rajiv gandhi basically opened the locks to babri masjid right mm-hmm. um what is not being said here is the fact that that was done uh you know certain muslim leaders themselves had actually done it in exchange for the shabano thing right so you basically um, and they basically decided to trade away the rights to the mosque but in a certain sense in return for uh basically a a piece of legislation that would have invalidated the supreme court's shabana verdict so mm-hmm. that is one thing secondly you know and i mean like it's hard i mean like it's hard to explain what goes on in people's heads when people argue like this but i also think that there's a fundamental you know i mean like you know we are in our in our own circles etc you know to us it's very clear that this should have never gone there i mean like many of us have been arguing or even people before us have been arguing that this is not a place where people should have ever agreed to have taken the case that this becoming a question of antiquity that mm-hmm. all that ever mattered was the fact that there was a mosque it was uh, suddenly uh, people started claim laying claim to it whether they've made a historical claim to it or historically they've been claiming the site is actually not up for debate because there is a mosque right mm. uh, and uh, it should have never gone there so i agree with chondu when he says that but at the same time why did they do it now the thing is that's very hard to like fathom like why would they even agree to that because i think to some extent they were very very overconfident of uh, you know the asi behaving impartially for instance that uh, they were very very confident that nothing of this sort would happen that, so what about could it also be said that in many ways they were overwhelmed by the actual say you know the demolition of the i mean the the continued attacks on the mosque the fact that idols were placed there that it was desecrated in 1949 and so on and that they could be acting in that in, in the idea that we are outnumbered in some ways and we probably cannot uh, claim I, 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 i mean like i think that that could be one interpretation of what happened i i think that we could argue that Uh, you know they were cornered and they felt that they had no other recourse right. but i mean you can assume that but you could also assume that since they were fighting a title case 
uh, it was essentially about this they should have you know thought about this a bit deeper and and the problem is that you know they've been making these concessions themselves in the past very very shady grounds like like i said the shabano case etc so i mean like they, they uh, some i mean like there are a lot of muslims i talk to some of them have actually been very very pissed off with quote unquote muslim community leaders themselves like they've said that you know but these ulama etc who self fashion themselves as leaders of the muslim community Uh, they've basically sold out on multiple occasions and for reasons that are like you know as uh, you know shallow as the you know shabano verdict and mm. uh, subsequently as well and it's like a, especially in today's time like when there is a growing hindutva presence and there's a growing uh, you know sense of alienation amongst muslims in india a lot of people have actually even like uh, you know blamed uh, muslim leaders in quote unquote secular parties like the congress for instance for compromising far too much on their mm-hmm. rights on their liberties etc and that disillusionment is understandable but i don't think pramod though i would like to like interject here that yeah. uh, it's not just about leaders in the muslim community we have seen these appeals to antiquity from other people as well uh, from from muslims as well and to me it has always struck me as a bit odd because once uh, yeah, you accept it's a it's a yeah it's, it's a, a slippery, slippery it's a, slope it's a slippery slope it's because a very once you slope. once you accept that appeal to antiquity where does it end like right. at some point somebody must have done some atrocity so you know it becomes this yeah. endless series of reparations and yeah. that I mean, ends like, up i mean like i mean like to be clear it's like you know some people so for instance i mean like with no references some people were uh, comparing this to the reconquista in spain right and the conquest Can you of Am- what that is reconquista it is it is the the reconquista was the Uh, you know spain was a, a muslim ruled region and then a bunch of christian no, no, rulers spain was it spain was it no spain was it just andalusia was like and andalusia granada well, la, the, the last lot was granada yeah was, the last so, lot well, was granada the rulers of castile uh, etc they basically aragon. aragon they fought those rule the muslim rulers and th- threw them out and that is basically portrayed by modern europeans as some sort of grand reclaiming of land which is of course wrong that's not how it was this goes back to you know visions of islamic modernity that evolved in the early 20th century like there's this famous poem by iqbal where he basically goes to andalusia he goes to the alhambra and he basically uh, you know and you know he'll actually have some extremely irritating videos of <laughs> like people going so every time so you know, some muslims go to um, the alhambra in spain and then they are like you know basically singing the azan and then they say that azan heard in alhambra after uh, 500 years again you know right, and right. you know all these uncles are basically sharing it on whatsapp and on social media saying so with tears in their eyes saying oh how beautiful that is blah 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 i mean and you can so, i mean, I mean like the analogy here is that uh, is is that muslim yeah i mean like no i mean like this out there this is an analogous phenomenon everywhere right for okay, instance right. like people the people uh, like tra- tra- trad cats for instance tra- traditionalist catholics for instance keep whining about the hagia sophia like the fall of right. constantinople to the ottomans and oh, the conversion yeah, yeah, yeah. of the hagia sophia into a mosque right uh, that's something they whine about and if you think about it even hindu revanchism like the the very logic of babri itself was based on such a logic pramod i agree i understand why it happens i'm just saying it's stupid and if we have people in our audience who listen to us like i would say that don't get into that discourse don't get into whether as a muslim your claim is more uh, antiquely authentic or whether as a hindu your claim is more antiquely authentic it doesn't mean anything from the uh, very material reality of what yeah. happened there 
as a crime and also i think you're you're actually according the court authority then to dispute on the antiquity question like you're telling the court please become an expert on this and decide on our behalf that our right to an antiquarian antiquarian you know mode of worship is actually more legitimate than the other parties and that's very dangerous to ask the court to actually mediate or arbitrate that i feel because yeah. the moment you do that then the historical sort of the 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 weight of the historical debate is going to be diluted because it has to be uh, adjudicated through law and that's always slippery territory as you said so go on yeah and so that was my third point that people that this antiquity thing like at least people who listen to us and at least people who are critical enough to uh, not accept the, what has happened wholesale they really should avoid getting into that antiquity debate even even if you know even if they are the aggrieved party and think that you know they can win right. it because they can't once they give into that logic they given to the logic of the sang and yes. yeah. at that point sangis can basically say that oh we just wanted reparations you know right yeah, yeah. Right. yeah that's that, that's Whoa. exactly how it's been that's exactly how it's being received right that uh, like if you actually look at sangis and the conversations that sangis are having and i mean not just you know the rabid i mean like the quote unquote rabid ones that you see on the street saying ram lala hum aayenge mandir wahi banayenge but also the educated ones in suits and pants in uh, uh, prominent institutions etc i'm talking about abhinav prakash by the way uh-huh. uh, they are basically saying this is these are just civilizational reparations mm-hmm. right there's a very big difference between say demands for reparations in uh, Uh, the united states of america by certain members of the african american community as mm-hmm. well as uh, and and in between what is happening in india today because uh, in the united states of america the very structure of the modern american state has been founded on this institution of slavery and racism slavery, yes for 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 in india like for india after, uh, for colonial and mostly post colonial india it has always been the case that hindus have been the dominant community as opposed to muslims mm. and uh, this question of the post is it inti- is uh, you know for instance it's 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 an undeniable fact that you know there have uh, a large parts of india saw muslim sovereigns right now uh, but is it like you know is it a question is it is it a hurt that has to be acknowledged by the post has to be addressed or acknowledged has to be addressed by the post colonial indian state and i we would uh, most of us would agree argue that that is absolutely not the case because in the post colonial indian state and due to partition muslims have been a marginalized minority if you look at uh, reports like the sachcha commission report you will see that muslims in many places are in fact uh, collectively collectively socioeconomically worse off than even scheduled castes in certain states uh, again scheduled castes taken collectively here as problematic as these classifications are i think my, that that's a point to be noted and the second thing is that in the post colonial indian state we've had a problem with muslim representation in the halls of power we've had a problem with uh, oh if you look at the history of post colonial indian riots you will also see that muslims have almost always been at the receiving end of that violence disproportionately right, right. and no the point so i was making there is any that... question if if if, if there is any question of reparations in modern india it is not towards the hindus if, in any question of justice within uh, post colonial india and i think this is important especially in the light of babri and the kinds of demands that are associated it, with it it is not a question of reparations for the pre modern it is a question of reparations and justice for things that have happened in post colonial india and at and at maximum within colonial india because that's right. how where we inherit our institutions from but not yeah. prior to so i think that that's the distinction i am making is that structural reparations which are a result of institutional injustice makes sense even mm-hmm. though the mechanics of that are still iffy um, and anybody who says they are not iffy is obviously uh, some kind of charlatan uh, civilizational rep- reparations make no sense because they come from the whole class of civilization theory which is nonsense so mm. it so the reason uh, black communities in america get to make the demand of reparation is because as a structure united states um mm. was racist but right. the 
colonial government in India was not by its very structure bigoted towards Hindus. Post-colonially, we have had riots, etc. But mm-hmm. nowhere within the structure is it encoded any kind of bigotry towards Hindus. So the idea of reparation is only as a civilizational there and hence nonsense. It's it's pandering to the idea that you know there is a Hindu civilization and there is a Muslim civilization, which is historically right. completely nonsense. So that was right. so going into antiquity and the perils associated. That was my third uh, beginning thought, and we have practically had the episode. And yeah. I, uh, uh, discussing because Pramod for each of these thoughts had an essay to teach us. Uh, but but uh, we have completed three thoughts. May as well go to the last and the fourth one. Which is and the, and the fourth one is I think it's a much more. Uh, modest, banal sort of uh, realistic sort of thought that now that this has happened, we are, have entered that phase where the Sung project has won. Yes. Every single promise it had made has been fulfilled. Uh, that whether, is, yes. It, yes. whether it be 370, whether it be the Babri, etc. Uh, yes. Also, most organs of the Indian state have compromised to use a very uh, modest word for what has happened. I think we are approaching a point in Indian political history because ultimately this podcast (laughs) is a political podcast. It's not a legal analysis podcast. We mentioned that in our NRC episode as well. So while it's fine and dandy to discuss the antiquity, to discuss uh, world civilization theory, to discuss sociology, but coming down to brass tacks, is that what, what happens now considering that Large, the larger left parties have completely capitulated. Uh, CPIML hasn't. Kudos to them. I think they should be mentioned by name. Just, just like we mentioned CPIML. CPIML liberation. CPIML liberation as a party. And adds and other other CPIML factions as well. Like and other CPIML factions as well. Certain individual MPs have, of course, raised their voices against this. Uh, only one Asad non-minority, Asad Oisi did, but there was one non-MP, non-minority MP as well. See, the thing I'm trying to say, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, like M is problematic and ML is not. I'm not saying this, so not going into the details of these parties. The, the overarching point is that ultimately power is about politics. It's not about law courts. It's something uh, we have mentioned in previous episodes as well. And politically speaking, this has been a triumph for the Hindu rights. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like that's that's beyond. I mean, that this is one thing that's beyond dispute. Yes. See, uh, the so, thing is that there was a project. I think one of the things is that there was a project. I mean, as flawed as it was, as uh, problematic and you know as self-contradictory as it was at times after 1947 after the partitioning of the British Raj into a Muslim majority Pakistan and a Hindu majority India at least you know you could say that you know even within that even within that post-colonial in that post-colonial moment there was a consensus and that was contested heavily, by the way. But that emerged that India is fundamentally a secular country, which belongs equally to all of its citizens, irrespective of religion. Uh, that project has failed. Has unraveled. I mean, like, the only thing left now is to basically constitutionally institute, like, you know, just make that amendment to the constitution, you know, to remove... Yeah. So, and remove... say say that India is India is actually not a secular republic. I mean, like you know, I I hear critics of you know when, whenever people say that India. Yes, yes. You know, whenever... People people critic that all the time, but like, come on, seriously, that's yeah, nonsense. Yeah, no, but, like, no, but, anybody but, but, who argues for all for all its problems, secularism as an idea was ingrained into the Indian Republic, even when it was not outrightly mentioned. Anybody who yeah. has read the Constitutional Assembly debates would understand mm. what I'm talking about yes, here. And, yes, and, you may, and, you may and, say that Gandhi was problematic and you may say that Nehru was problematic and uh, fucking everybody was problematic. And But that doesn't change the fact that there was something of right. worth in that secular project. Right. And, and if you again look at the Constituent Assembly debates, 
and going back to the concept of the Indian nation state itself, uh, there was a promise that India made to its minorities that was not made by Pakistan, by the way. That was not that made was... by Pakistan. And 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 I know that you know progressives like to certain types of who like to uncontextually mm. essentially say everything is trash, which it's not true. Yeah. Yes, it's no, true but, that Congress is yeah, remarkably but, flawed, yeah, etc., etc. Et yeah, but the thing is that uh, you know there was a promise that was made to India's minorities, especially its Muslims, because again the predominant fault line in this case is. Muslims and non-Muslims, uh, right. but it was a promise that was made to India's Muslims that you know they would be protected in India. They would enjoy every single right that was entitled that Hindus were entitled to, and they would be uh, they would have no reason to fear for their uh, not just their existence. I don't think the issue is necessarily of existence. The issue is that, uh, you know, that they would not be subjected to a cultural or a social or a political humiliation of the kind that we're seeing today. And that promise has, we have not like, you know, the Indian state has not lived up to that promise. And in fact, it is now rejecting that promise outright. And I think, you know, people also have, I mean, like I've heard these arguments before that, you know, okay, so Babri was just a minor, you know, I've seen certain Muslim leftists also, like, argue this on WhatsApp and whatnot, it's a, saying that, so Babri was not very important, you know, like, you know, it's basically what in uh, Twitter language we're calling cope. So, you know, Babri was never a very important mosque to us anyway. Uh, you know, like, maybe we should just move on because there's nothing else to be done. Um, but at the same time, the kind of image, I mean, like, Babri became important. I mean, the mosque could have crumbled into dust. I mean, it might have been abandoned. It might have crumbled into dust for all we know, uh, had it not become this thing right, instead of being demolished. But the point is that it became a big symbol of this kind of politics that says that, you know, uh, the post-colonial Indian state belongs to Hindus and we can do whatever, and Hindus can do whatever they want against its Muslim minorities to the point that and this is being, and this is rightfully interpreted as a kind of uh, civilizational insult. I mean, like we, I did, we did say that we shouldn't be talking in civilizational terms, but the terms that they are talking in is predominantly they have, civilization. They have, they have made it a reality, unfortunately. This sort of communal insult, if not civilizational insult, which has gone to India's minority, this has material consequences. Of this course it does. I mean, like anyone, that... anyone, anyone who's arguing that it does not is clearly doing an extremely poor reading of the Indian state, of states in general, of mm -hmm. Hindu nationalism, etc. And the problem is that, you know, I think the problem is that the left finds itself in a position where it's more powerless than ever before. Yeah. And where it feels like it cannot make any assertive claims, which is what I think it, is what is happening. And so the only thing they can think of is to capitulate. And, and I, to, I, mean, I know, I agree with you completely. And just to add to that, there also seems to be, I mean, uh, there is a faction of Ambedkarites who argue that this is com the, the, the victory of commandal politics as well, right? Which is... Uh, ah, God, uh, Dilip, oh, God. Oh, excellent God. article. Oh, exactly. oh, 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 there is oh, a, there is oh, a, oh, yeah. I think that there is, there is something to be, we have to sit with also the fact that as much as the Muslim has been, has been demonized and now Muslim communities are going to be, going to pay a heavy price now and from here on at least as second class citizens of the Indian state, uh, one way in which the, the, the Hindu right has won its uh, popular appeal is by subsuming lower caste under the rubric of Hindu, right? Which, yeah. which, which yeah. within at least the Sung yeah. practice historically was yeah. mostly Brahminical, and that's no longer. I mean, the project has been to obviously incorporate as many caste castes within this fold now than ever before. And of course, you yeah. see a faction of of Dalit communities who have been so sort of ostracized from power that at this point they're debating whether Dalit priests can work, can become the head priest at Ayodhya and so on. I think you're referring to Dilip Mandal's article today in the print, which was uh, which I think was in very bad taste. And yeah, so one thing that I think I mean, like these two things were happening concurrently, right? The rise of Mandalized politics and the uh, Ram Mandir movement. Um, I, I mean, like, especially the Ratyatra, etc. And, you yeah. know, as multiple scholars have actually pointed out, the rise of Mandal politics actually 
did prevent i mean like the song would have been far more successful at a far in a in earlier decades it would have been successful within the 90s yeah. itself but it not for the yeah. rise of mandalized politics in north india you right and 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 the fact is that over all these years a lot of scholars a lot of academics a lot of activists etc have seen um mandalized politics as a source of resistance to the sang chondu wants to say that i mean like you can we can diss uh, dilip mandal's article but it's also something to be said about reading something into it and the yeah. fact is that they, even they cannot the, the problem is that the sang has so effectively co-opted and subsumed uh, you know this kind of mandalized politics within its rubric to the point that and again if you actually look at the history of uh you know debates within the parliament etc and yeah. i go back to an, an, an epi- something that we did not mention during the nrc episode is that when uh, chidambaram under rajiv gandhi had actually first made the first amendment to the uh, citizenship act it was actually the left and also these uh, these groups that would later become the uh, backbone of the mandal uh, parties which okay. had strongly opposed which had strongly opposed this they yeah. had been consistent in opposing this kind of politics lalu prasad yadav for instance yes and right now do you see a resistance from these uh, from these parties anymore no, i mean i think much like the communists like you mentioned the left left parties having been so wiped out at this point that they've just caved i feel like the hindutva wave has just suppressed i mean even the whether it's the vda whether it's the bsp none of them have had any degree of poli- have never been allowed to take political power back well in- well i i would be a li- little less uh, generous than you both are being i i'm just saying that the pol- politics of this country has moved in a certain direction and yeah. a- articulations uh, are uh, happening well, in that well, context yes, yes it has but also that in this in this weather of chaos there is a lot of sheer naked opportunism happening and you oh, can't i mean naked yeah that's obviously true you can Any yeah point. and uh, dilip mandal secondly you have to also understand that they just talking about political affiliations dilip mandal uh, comes from a particular he is associated i think he's associated with the rjd if i'm not incorrect i general, my my point is very simply that at this moment there are people who are going to be making hay from it there are people but i am saying who, i am saying that if you're talking about a long term like coming back to your point about materiality and politics they have to also understand what creates the situation for this opportunism because people who are right now again like articulating their own politics mm-hmm. were not doing so were not doing so even 2 3 years back and i think this is a point that needs to be acknowledged that ultimately yes you can say that they're selling out they're caving they're uh, you know doing this and that but the thing is that the sang has effectively won on what is a larger ideological battle and this shifted the conversation to these things and for what it's worth i don't think i i so see this is what's disturbing to me is i don't think that uh, mandalized caste politics has become irrelevant like you know there you will see people on nddv etc talking about how you know caste politics etc has become irrelevant after 2016 they said it after 2014 they said it after 2019 i yeah. don't think that's the yeah. case i think the problem now has become that these caste political well, caste politics will still exist and mm-hmm. there will even be militant uh, caste agitations as has happened for the for many decades now against you know whatever brahminical thing that is uh, brahminical hegemony that exists in yeah. Uh, yeah. or rather an upper caste hegemony that exists within india however right. i think the fundamental plane of the discourse has changed from uh, what uh, used to be ostensibly uh, an ostensible opposition to the concept of hindu rashtra to articulating yeah. these demands within the con- construct of a hindu rashtra so we had mentioned this in gentoo society that what we are going to see is that you will have the whole battle of uh, marginal versus uh, 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 savarna caste play out with all of them acknowledging the hindu rashtra and the hindu state yeah i mean like even it could even be radical i mean like in a very it, perverse yeah, it, sense it, 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 could, it could could be see, it could and uh, your your epistemic frame has been completely co-opted that is the anyway yeah but i think that's that's anyway digressing i think we made the point about caste towards the end which is important to make right shall we wrap yeah. up
yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think so. I don't think there is much to be said in this episode aside from urging our audience to read up on these topics to even if they think that you know the entire gamut of society starting from progressive voices they listen to to lawyers they respect by the way a certain lawyer who is considered attractive among certain woke people with a very strong jawline uh, who has proven to be <laughs> extremely scummy uh, uh, you know i would say that uh, uh, no no i have i have a huge critic of that lawyer but i would say that uh, markande kadju is a much better man than that's way a woke lawyer uh, i mean yeah kadju so, had a better take which was very i didn't want to share it but it yeah 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 no no <laughs> I, i i would openly praise kadju at this point i would say that yeah. people oh, who uh, <laughs> yeah who, yeah i mean like uh, anyway like that particular justice that a lot of progressives are like have consistently been yeah. jacking off to that justice was just remember the fact that that justice was on this panel oh, he wrote the judges. whole thing he, he wrote, wrote it. the whole he wrote damn it. thing it's yeah, the, yeah. Uh, he's got his grubby yeah 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 it's very apparent he's got his grubby paws all over it like if you just read it yeah. you can see it's and always grubby some people would say that the ideology of the judge shouldn't be relevant when doing uh, legal analysis and we would oh, otherwise I mean, like, you know, i i i, I I, you know that's one of the things that i think you know i just talking about some just one final point regarding legitimacy it's actually very very disturbing i mean even with regards to the nrc thing the repeal of the imdt there is this very very idiotic idea that the judiciary is above politics it's clearly not oh, and it's not, uh, it's not. And, and 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 i think you know at least the conversation in america is a bit more honest about this because you know you have like a very yeah. politicized conversation about which judges are getting nominated and etc in uh, india quite unfortunately we have not uh, you know people are not willing to face the reality that all institutions which have power are fundamentally political you can't not yeah. have power and and be yeah. you can't yeah. not have you can't I mean, like, have power and not be politics that. yeah or well, let's wrap up on that note that we, we, we like i was dissing the woke audience of our podcast that stop that the guy with the strong jaw line you were the one standing him all these years so on that note um i think we have said a lot already we are way over time but <laughs> episode on 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 a somewhat cynical note uh with with the thought that a lot of work is we are fucked we are fucked uh, yes <laughs> well we are fucked yes, but promote also, we are always fucked the point is fucked. what do you do once you are fucked yes so that is the thing what are you going to do like, like i don't know to basically quote the geeta here you know you, you do no, things no we are not going to end by quoting the geeta i am I am going to put a halt <laughs> to our endless contestations. I'm just going to urge our readers, readers, our, our listeners today to to read up and read widely. Uh, please support our podcast because we are trying to to get very progressive, left, um, very non-mainstream opinions out there. So if you can, if you can like, share, retweet, uh, fund us on Patreon, that would be great. Uh, but otherwise, we hope that you have a, a safe week, a good week, and and uh, keep listening to us thank you chandu thank you pramod i think this was a very good conversation and we will see you again in our next episode bye 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 bye